0: So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com.
1: Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Radio Days. This is your host, John Hagedorn. Here we feature mostly cop and detective shows, plus adventure, plus surprise. You never know, but it's the best from the golden age of radio. We'll guarantee that. For those of you who want nonstop stop crime buster and detective shows, you can now add 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers to your podcast library. That's 1,001 Radio Crime Solvers. Brand new for 2023 and growing fast. Enjoy!
2: From Hollywood, it's time now for John Lund as... Johnny Dollar.
3: Hi, Chet Graham, Johnny.
2: Who? Wake up, boy. Chet Graham claims New York Mutual. Oh, hi, Chet. How are things? Bad. Johnny, I have to make a little trip out to the coast on a phony claim. I'll be gone about four days, but I need someone to hold on my office while I'm away. Can you do it? Oh, that's not my line, Chet. You know that.
3: Well, make it your line, Johnny. Somebody has to be here. Look, you can live in my apartment. You can use my tickets to wish you were here. You can even take my girl if you want. New York's swell this time of year.
2: Can't you get anybody there? Oh, everybody's got the flu or busy or something. When do you want to leave for the coast? I'd like to get out on the noon plane today. Well, I can be down there by 11. Good. We'll probably miss each other, but just walk right in the office and make yourself at home. I'll call you from L.A. Have a good trip. Uh, by the way, what does your girl look like? Even your best dream was never that good. Just leave her phone number on your desk. John Lund, in the transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account. America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. Expense account submitted by special investigator Johnny Dollar To New York Mutual Underwriters Limited, Rockefeller Center, New York City Attention, Mr. Chester Graham, claims and adjustments Dear Chet, you probably read some of this in the Los Angeles papers But they don't have the whole story Maybe they'll never get it all. I hope not. I've found out part of it, stumbled into the rest of it, and I'm trying to forget all of it. The following is an accounting of expenditures during your four-day absence and my investigation of the James Clayton matter. Expense account item one, $14.35 transportation, Hartford to New York, where, as per your advice, I walked in your office, sat down, and made myself at home. And where, 15 minutes later, I had a caller.
4: Mr. Dollar, is it? That's right. The girl at the reception desk said Mr. Graham was out of town and that you were taking his place.
2: Yes. Please sit down.
4: Well, Thank you, but I don't have time. I'm Miss Stebbins, Dr. James Clayton's nurse. He asked me to see you. I see. He gave me these policy numbers. He said that your company wrote these policies and that he'd like to talk to one of you.
2: Well, certainly, Miss Stebbins. He can come by any time. No,
4: you don't understand. Dr. Clayton can't get away from the office. We're terribly rushed, and I really should be getting back myself. He's there all alone.
2: Well, do you know what it's about, Miss Stevens?
4: I... no. The doctor's been acting strangely all day. He had me cancel all of his outside calls, and then he sent me here. He said to explain that it was very urgent. I'm... I'm very concerned for him.
2: tall, pale brunette girl in the crisply starched uniform and cape was certainly concerned about something. She bit her lip, forced out a wan, unprofessional smile, and started to cry. I pretended not to notice all this as we got on the elevator and went down into the street. However, ten minutes later, when we arrived at a suite of offices in the Pelroy building, I had to notice Dr. James Clayton. He met us at the door. Most of his costume was medically correct. White coat and carrying a stethoscope in one hand. But in the other, he brandished a .32 Ivor Johnson. The safety was off. Oh, oh, it's you.
4: Yes, Doctor. This is Mr. Dollar from the insurance office.
2: Claims investigation? Yeah. Oh, fine. Uh, Jane, this would be a good time for you to get some lunch, don't you think?
4: Well, Doctor, I have all of those lab reports to No, go up. ahead, Janey. Like
2: a good girl, I want to speak with Mr. Dollar alone. Of
4: course, please. Doctor, if you say so.
2: Goodbye, Mr. Dollar. Goodbye. Come in, Mr. Dollar. Sit down. Very fine girl, Jane. She's worked for me a long time. Very fine. Do you always meet her at the door with firearms, Doctor? Oh, oh, this. Well, all I can say is this is a ridiculous mess. My life's been threatened by a man who has definite homicidal tendencies. This, I I, I don't even know how to load it. (laughs) I look foolish, I suppose. A threat on your life, Doctor, comes under the heading of police business. I know that very well, and I would go directly to the police, only... Well, it is a delicate matter. You seem dubious already. No, just curious. Go on, please. Well, several months ago, I attended a patient named Florence Harmon. A thorough examination disclosed that her poor physical condition wasn't based on any organic disorder, but rather upon an emotional instability. Now, this, I finally discovered, was brought about by her marriage to an erratic, ruthless, ill-tempered man, Benjamin Harmon. I could only advise that she divorce him immediately. Well, that's somewhat extreme, Doctor. Are you always certain of advice like that? In this case, there's no other answer. I approached Mr. Harmon on the subject last night at his home. I explained that Mrs. Harmon's health, her very life, is in jeopardy. And more is involved here than keeping intact a union which has... Nothing but legality is a binding force. I see. But uh, Mr. Harmon doesn't care for somatics, huh? Uh, he attacked me. If it hadn't been for the assistance of Mrs. Harmon and a servant, he might have choked me to death. When I left, he threatened me. Then you should have called the police. Yes, yes, I thought of that. But look, if if you approached Harmon in the right manner, Dollar, he might discard his ideas of violence. Well, you're the expert on homicidal tendencies, but... Best thing I can see for you is to prefer assault charges and have them locked up. I know all that, but it's for Mrs. Harmon's sake. Please understand, she's been through a shattering ordeal. Look, Mr. Dollar, would you, would you go see him and talk to him? If you think he means it really, then I'll call the police and prefer charges against him. The Harmon residence was in Westchester. A story and a half colonial with all the trimmings. There was a '51 Cadillac in the open garage and a '52 Ford station wagon in front of the house. Yes. This one didn't have a white coat or stethoscope, but he had a gun. What is it, Mr. Harmon? I'm Harmon. What do you want, Mr. Harmon? My name is Dollar. And Dollar? I'm like...
5: Huh? Get out of my way! Oh. Here, Mr. Dollar.
2: Drink this.
0: Easy now. Oh. Take it, please. Oh, you had quite a blow. Try a little more. It should make you feel better. What was... Who? Oh, you you can bring suit against him, against us. You can do anything you want to, Mr. Dollar. He's just ungovernable. He could easily have killed you.
2: You, uh, Mrs. Harmon? Yes. Your husband think I was the Iceman? Oh,
0: I don't know what he thought. I... I just heard him yell at you, and when I came to the door, you were lying there, and he'd taken the station wagon and left. Why, last night, he even attacked my personal physician and threatened to kill him. I don't know what's gotten into him. You'd better sit down.
2: It's oh, getting better. Where'd he go?
0: Heaven only knows. Mad. That's what he is, Mr. Dollar. Mad. He's liable to do anything. I'm I'm scared I'm scared stiff. <laughs>
2: I called Dr. Clayton, who promised to notify the police. It was about a quarter to six when I got back to his office. A broad-shouldered man in a tweed suit was in the reception room. Hi. You Dr. Clayton? No. Hey, uh, don't I know you? I was thinking the same about you. Uh, Wait, Dollar? Yeah. Tom Bassman, Central Division. Oh, sure. How are you, Tom? Fine. Hey, you must be the one. What? This Dr. Clayton called downtown about a threat. Said his insurance company had advised him to report it. That's right. Well, where is he? Well, he should be here, Tom. What's his nurse say? I rang the buzzer. No one around at all. What's this all about? A man named Benjamin Harmon's threatened the doctor's life. I met him myself. He's carrying a gun, and he looked dangerous to me. I just came from his house. He's still there? No. I better phone in and get a pickup out on him. When the doctor shows up, I'll get a complaint. Oh, Hello.
4: Hello. I'm Mr. Dollar.
2: Hello, Miss Evans.
4: Is Dr. Clayton here?
2: This is Sergeant Bassman. We want to see him ourselves.
4: You're a police officer? That's right, miss. I heard him talking to you on the phone. Is anything the matter?
3: Just want to see him.
4: Well, goodness, he sent me out to pick up these things. He was here when I left. Oh. What? Perhaps he had an emergency.
2: Well, is there any way we can find out?
4: Well, if he had one, it would be right here on the pad, because I always have to know... That's funny. What? Got an emergency call, 1213 Alessandro Street.
2: Can I see that, please?
4: Uh-huh.
2: There's no name on this, Miss Stebbins. Do you recognize the address at all?
4: No, I don't. The doctor just wouldn't take a random emergency call unless it were very unusual.
2: This might be unusual. Dollar, how bad off did you think Harmon was? Mad. Had a gun. Cracked me. Plenty rough. Hmm? This is in the warehouse district. Think we better go down there? I think so. Wait. What? 1213. Well, it'd have to be that vacant lot over there. This one's 1240, and the rest belong to that warehouse. Yeah. Tom. Hmm? That car. MD on the license plate? Yeah.
6: It might be Clayton's. Yeah. Uh, it's Clayton's
2: car, all right. He must be around here somewhere looking for
5: 1213. Yeah. Well, let's have a peep.
2: Tom. I see. He's had it. Is it Clayton? Yeah, that's him. Some emergency this was. Yeah. Return to yours truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment. On weekends, it seems everybody takes his car out on the highways. Some drivers are less experienced than others. They either speed or poke along with a whole stream of cars behind them. Both types are a menace to safety. Whatever you do, be moderate, be obedient to all traffic laws. Be careful, use your head, and don't take chances. <laughs>
6: star John Lund, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: An hour of questioning in the neighborhood turned up two people who recalled hearing the shots, and one man remembered seeing a man who answered Benjamin Harmon's description loitering in the vicinity of a nearby bar earlier in the evening. Obviously, Dr. Clayton had been lured to his death by the murderer who had telephoned him, pretended to need a physician, waited till the victim appeared, and then shot him down. Expense account item three, $11.65. A good dinner, three martinis, tip, and thinking at Tut Shores. After which, I strolled over to the Pelroy building. Expense account item four. Five dollars even. Bribed watchman. Uh, I shouldn't be doing this, you know. Might lose my job over it. I appreciate it. But since you're from the insurance company, I guess you're all right. Just looking around is all. Too bad about the doctor. Nice fellow. Very. What do you think you'll find? A policeman been here almost an hour ago poking around. You know if they found anything? Sure. Well, what? doctor's emergency kit. Heard him say he didn't take it uh, with him when he went out on that emergency. Yeah. don't be too long. The business about the emergency kit started me thinking. I opened Clayton's file drawer and skimmed through every patient's name from Abbott to Zabrowski. He'd been a thorough man. ...and from all evidences operated an efficient medical office. However, he had no medical history in his files on Florence Harmon. There was nothing to indicate that she had ever been a patient of his. On the other hand, there was an entry a year before... ...which showed that he had examined, treated, and discharged Benjamin Harmon as a patient. I think these two developments supplied me with all of the curiosity I needed for a while. Nurse Jane Stebbins' home address was duly noted on Dr. Clayton's phone book. Oakdale House. Surprisingly enough, on Oak Street. Special rates for nurses, room 210.
4: Oh, Mr. Dollar. How do you feel? Not too good, Mr. Dollar. I just got home a little while ago. They kept me down there pretty long. Do you want to come in?
2: Thanks. I don't want to keep you up.
4: It isn't much of a place, is it? I mean, I haven't straightened it up for days, it seems. <sighs> I'm sorry.
2: Things like this aren't easy, I know. Don't apologize to me.
4: Sit down, Mr. Dollar. Have they caught Mr. Harmon yet?
2: No, not yet. Uh, Miss Stevens, you worked for Dr. Clayton a long while, didn't you? Five years, then you should be able to tell me who he was going to marry.
4: Marry? why I didn't know. I have no idea.
2: He'd already made arrangements for a honeymoon. Honeymoon? Look, reservations on the Ile de France for next April. I found them in his desk drawer. Confirmed to Dr. and Mrs. James Clayton. Well?
4: What difference does it make?
2: I don't know. Seems strange that you've been with him for such a long time and didn't know about this. I... Or did you? All right. What about Mrs. Harmon? Well... Look, Miss Stebbins, things are wrong all the way down the line about your doctor's death, about what happened before it. It'll come out sooner or later.
4: I suppose it will. It's awful to say this, Mr. Dollar. But Mrs. Harmon was the only one Dr. Clayton saw socially. And she, of course, is married.
2: Of course. And the good doctor advised her to get a divorce. He met her when Mr. Harmon was a patient of his?
4: Yes, that's right. They became friendly.
2: But Mrs. Harmon was never a patient?
4: No, never. Just her husband.
2: What can you tell me about Mr. Harmon?
4: Well, really, all I know is he came in to see Dr. Clayton a few times. Over a year ago, I guess. Then after, after he saw what was happening between Mrs. Harmon and Dr. Clayton, he stopped coming in. I sent a copy of his medical history to another doctor.
2: But Dr. Clayton had been seeing Mrs. Harmon all this time.
4: It's awful to say this now, Mr. Dollar. Doctor's dead. I'm no moralist. We're all human. It's happened before. Married people have been attracted by others. I'm tired, Mr. Dollar.
2: Sure. Do you have any idea why I was called in today?
4: Not first, I didn't. I... Well, of course it happened. The police told me about Mr. Harmon's threats, but I don't understand what you're trying to do. The police want Mr. Harmon, and what does it all mean?
2: It means the wrong man was killed.. <laughs> dollar i should have tumbled to it right away but your husband fit the part too well
0: now look here i've been through quite enough today with the police looking for ben i don't have you it. and
2: clayton i was going to be the star witness when the state tried him for shooting your husband whatever i said as a material witness would back up his self-defense plea and get him off on a justifiable homicide isn't that it
0: i tell you i won't and you for... and the
2: doctor would sail to france and live happily ever after What's the matter? Wouldn't your husband give you a divorce?
0: You won't. Listen, go ahead. If you say it's that way, Mr. Dollar, and you know everything, I know you know everything, then it must be that yeah, way. Yeah,
2: only it got fouled up. Your husband did shoot your doctor boyfriend after all. Get out of
0: here. Get out of my house. You can't prove anything. You're right,
2: Mrs. Harmon. I can't prove anything. Not a thing. They catch your husband and they'll put him away for it. But you have something to live with for the rest of your life. Or maybe you didn't really love your doctor after all. Get out! Well, that's it, Sergeant. I want to know if people can really get by with this kind of thing in our courts of law. If and when you pick up Benjamin Harmon, will he have any kind of defense? Oh, we'll get him, Dollar. The others, I can't answer. What you just told me is really a thing. I don't see how any lawyer can do much for a guy who threatens another man's life and finally guns him down, do you? Supposing I could prove that Harmon was being set up as a patsy? That the doctor was really supposed to gun him down and plead self-defense? Up to the judge and the jury. When we get Harmon, he'll be arraigned and indicted on first-degree murder charges. Don't worry about that. And if it goes that far, it generally means he'll get the works. After all, we're pretty sure he shot and killed the doctor.
5: Hang up, Dollar. Huh?
2: You still there, Dollar? (laughs) Hang up or I'll blow your head off. Benjamin Harmon wasn't kidding. He was blazing mad. He had a gun and... I knew he wasn't afraid to use it. I was across the street when you left my place a little while ago. Fixing up another deal, were you? I don't know what you're talking about, Harmon. I followed you here so we could have this talk. And we're going to have it, you and I. You ought to put that gun away and let them take you. They'll shoot you down if they see you. Nobody's one. going to shoot me down, not yet. Now, where's your office? Hartford, Connecticut. I mean here. Where do you practice here? Come on. I don't practice anything here. My office is in Hartford. This apartment belongs to a friend of mine. I'm standing in for him here while he's out of town. Where's this his office? office? New York Mutual Liability. I mean his law office. I want to get down there and see how much... Hold on now. I'm not a lawyer. My friend's not a lawyer. We're insurance investigators. Where's the office? I tell you, we... Listen! G-
5: Clayton called me this morning and said a lawyer named Dollar was on his way over to talk to me about divorcing Florence.
2: If You hadn't started swinging that gun butt around. I'd have told you why I was there. I think I know why Clayton called you and told you that, but I don't... You and he were trying to pull something to take my wife away from me. I know that much. You're wrong, Harmon. I didn't know anything about that. Nobody takes my wife away from me. Now, that's the kind of temper that got you in all the trouble you're in. Look, you can shoot me here and I'll be number two, but they'll get you real easy here. You know I didn't kill Clayton? How do I know you didn't kill him? You threatened him. Half a dozen people heard you threaten him. I have an idea why you did it, and you might have been right, but murder for any reason... Shut up!
5: You're in on it somewhere. You know who did kill him, and you're going to clear me or I'll whip it out of you, darling. or will it out of you! Why, you crazy... You...
2: All right. Here. Try this. Go on. I'm tired of fooling with you. Now, get out of your feet. Well, you've got one point in your favor. This gun hasn't been fired. Do you have another one? No. No. Take another drink. Now, you have a chance to talk to me right now. I don't think the police will be interested in much you have to say.
5: I wanted to kill Clayton, but I didn't. I didn't. Nobody will believe that. I know I've got a temper and I've tried to
2: control it, but I didn't kill him.
5: I'm not impressed with that.
2: I want facts. Where were you when Clayton was shot? How do
5: I know? I didn't know what time he was shot. Say between 5 and 6 today. I was out getting mad. Pride. Where? Who saw you? No. After, after we met, I was so sore. I jumped in the car and went out and bought myself a jug. I know it sounds crazy, but I spent most of the time just sitting in the car down to the docks, just drinking and thinking and getting mad. I don't know what it was. I don't know when I walked over to the saloon. I phoned Clayton. I told him I was on Alessandro Street and to come on down. I wanted to have a showdown. You mean you wanted him to come down so you could kill him? Maybe I did have that on my mind. I don't know. I waited an hour or so, but he never showed up. When I called back at his office, nobody answered. So I climbed back in my car, and that's where I heard about my being wanted for killing him. It was on the newscast. I didn't do it, dollar. I swear I didn't. The others I knew about, and I didn't kill them. What others? Florence always had other friends. (laughs) Yes, I don't love her anymore, but I don't know. Maybe I hate her for all of it. When a man doesn't let part of his life walk away from him, I wouldn't give her a divorce. If I had let her get away with it, it would have been too much
2: for me to hold. Even though... Even though you didn't love her and you knew she didn't love you? Yes. That sounds stupid.
5: Maybe. I loved her once. She loved me the way two people only love at certain times.
2: Hell, no sense yet.
5: I'm not well, darling. Clayton gave me a year. Another doctor, 18 months. Finished anemia. I, the two of them could have waited at least till I was dead, couldn't they? Couldn't they?
2: I found some sleeping pills in your medicine cabinet and I fed him a couple with some hot cocoa. He dropped off to sleep in your bed while I made some phone calls confirming what he just told me. Expense account item five taxi fare $4.05 back to Oak Street, to Oakdale House. Special rates for nurses.
4: I thought you'd be back. I'm glad it's you. I think somehow you're the kind of man who understands things that...
2: I'll be a good listener. Go ahead.
4: When I first started as his nurse, I fell in love with him. I guess it's an old story. Terribly old and corny. But then he met her. I heard him tell you all those lies today about treating Mrs. Harmon. I was out in the hall... Didn't have any idea exactly what he intended to do until I heard him call Mr. Harmon right after you left. He told him you were a lawyer.
2: He knew Harmon was upset enough to attack me.
4: Doctor was very good about knowing what people would do. I was here when Mr. Harmon called him tonight. Doctor took the call and wrote it down on the pad. I saw him put the gun inside his coat, and I knew he was going down there to shoot Mr. Harmon. So I followed him. He was walking around the dark looking for Mr. Harmon with a gun in his hand. I ran up to him and pleaded with him not to be crazy, that she wasn't worth it. Then he said he was going to kill me, too. He struggled and the gun went off I don't know how many times. Then I came back here and pretended I'd been down to the drugstore.
2: I see. What's your first name? Jane. Jane... Dr. Clayton made all sorts of elaborate plans so he'd have a self-defense plea. But you don't have to go to all that trouble. You can prove self-defense. He had the gun. He was going to use it on you.
4: I beg your pardon?
2: I can help you, Jane. It'll go second degree or manslaughter, suspended. You didn't mean to shoot him, but he meant to shoot you.
4: No. You're nice. But I can't get off. What? I guess they haven't found her yet. I killed Mrs. Harmon an hour ago.
2: Expense account item six, same as one. Transportation back to Hartford. I didn't spend any other money, Chet. I didn't meet your girl, and I didn't see the musical. I didn't go anyplace. I just sat in your office and looked at the walls for the next three days. I'm leaving this where you'll see it when you come in tomorrow morning. Settle up and don't call me for a long time. A long, long time, if you call at all. Expense account total, $56.35. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
6: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars John
2: Lund in the title role... and is written by E. Jack Newman with music by Eddie Dunstetter. John Lund can currently be seen in the Universal International picture... just across the street. Featured in tonight's cast were Victor Perrin, Virginia Gregg... Joseph Kearns, John McIntyre, and Jeanette Nolan.
6: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Del Valle. Every Sunday, CBS Radio's Bob Trout... brings you a timely weekend roundup of world news... As a special eyewitness feature, an overseas CBS radio news correspondent flies in to give you an up-to-the-minute account of developments on his beat. Don't miss Bob Trout's World News Roundup Sundays on the CBS radio network. Hollywood. It's time now for John Lund as
2: Johnny Dollar. Don Biggest, Johnny. Hey, how would you like to go to California with me? Well, oh, I like that fine, but do I have to work? If you want to eat while you're out. we've written a lot of insurance for Los Angeles contractor named Elliot Champion. Uh huh. Last night his legend project went up in smoke. An office building he completed two weeks ago. How much is the policy worth? Damages yeah, over a half million dollars. Got some interesting things to say. Like
5: what? File
6: exponents. I'll pack my things. John Lund, in the transcribed adventure of the man with the action-packed expense account, America's
2: fabulous freelance insurance investigator. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> Expense account submitted by Special Investigator Johnny Dollar to Home Office Great Eastern Fire and Casualty, New York City. The following is an accounting of expenditures during my investigation of the Elliott Champion matter. (laughs) Expense account item one, $38.87, train fare and incidentals between Hartford and New York, where I met Agent Don Vickers and we made arrangements to fly to California. Item two, $28 even, one raincoat. Item three, $199.15, transportation New York to Los Angeles. En route, Vickers filled me in on the details concerning Mr. Elliot Champion. I met him once, Johnny, when he was in New York last time. Uh-huh.
6: Vickers, I said to myself,
2: look well on this man. He may be the last of his kind. How's that, Don? Well, Champion's 60 or better now, and he's been everything in his lifetime. Sailor, soldier, lawyer, financier, Lord knows what, all one of those birds who started with absolutely nothing. He talked fast, worked hard, and what he couldn't get one way, he managed to get another. All in all, he's done pretty well. I didn't like him, Johnny. Go on. Well, maybe I was just jealous of his aggressiveness, or maybe it's that I've heard stories of how he ran roughshod over big and little. No, well. It's about this office building. Yeah? Ives, the man who called me, has worked on several awesome cases for us. He said the fire was of a definite incendiary origin. Can he prove it? Yeah. Nothing fancy. Somebody poured a few gallons of gasoline over some leftover building materials in the elevator shaft and threw a match up. Well, pretty effective. What else? Well, champion's in financial trouble. The insurance would be better than the building. Ives will probably have more for us when we get there. He's been working on it from the start. I feel like a patsy. Oh, how's that? Well, Norman Ives has always been the best arson man in the business, as I can remember. And you're no slouch. What am I doing in this? Protection, Johnny. If Champion fired that building down to collect the insurance, I want to know about it. Ives might find the answer, you might find it, or I might find it. But where Champion's involved, it won't be easy. They'll all have to work. Are you scared of this guy? Yeah. Nobody's ever beat him. Spence account item four. Seven dollars and a half. Incidentals upon arrival. Vickers and I checked in the new Statler Hotel, grabbed a few hours sleep... And the next morning, drove out to the scene of the fire with Norman Ives, the
3: arson expert. A watchman on duty had seen a man loitering in the vicinity of the building when he came to work at 6 o'clock. Three other people remember the same man. A druggist, a filling station man, and a newsboy. All of their descriptions were pretty close. Medium build, medium height, medium weight. Between 25 and 30. Uh, Well, that's helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Now, the druggist and the man who ran the filling station could only supply the description, but the newsboy swears he saw this man sneak around the side of the building around 8 o'clock. The fire broke out about 8.30. Anybody see
2: him leave?
3: The newsboy says he saw him catch a bus on the corner right before the fire broke out. The bus driver on the line wasn't any help. The police have broken out every mug they can find in the arson files. Well, if the man with all the medium things about him is the man, this might not be so tough. No luck so far. I don't think they'll pick him up in the arson files, Dollar. It was an amateur job. I'll show you exactly how when we get there. What about the police lineup? Well, they've had three so far. One coming up tonight and one tomorrow. I'd say that's a long chance, too. No professional, no firebug. There's a possibility, sure, but none of it seems right to me. A bug will plan it and perform it just like an expert and he'll stand around and watch it burn. Maybe he'll call somebody up and tell him how happy he is. But I don't think our boy is any bug. There's something else in it, or I miss my guess. Well, you're the specialist. Any ideas? Not a one. I talked to the men who had been working in the building that day, there was no gasoline stored in that basement when they left work at 4 o'clock. But somebody moved in at least 5 gallons of gas between 4 and 6 when the watchman came on. How he did it, where he got it, I don't know. But it's one thing we'll have to find out. The police have any leads? They're working as hard as they know how. It would take a long time to check every filling station and find out who bought a five-gallon can of gasoline. Yeah. We're up against something here, and I... uh, Has anybody talked to Champion? Not yet. All he knows is that the fire people are trying to discover how the blaze started. I thought it best to leave it that way until we get our bearings. Well, here we are. Sure looks like a mess. Yeah. know, yeah. come on. And I'll show you how much of a mess it really is. We spent the rest of the
2: day covering the ruins of the ten-story office building that had been gutted by flames two days before. Ives acquainted us with all of the necessary details on exactly how the fire had been started. That night, we sat in on the lineup at the police station while the four witnesses looked at some 60-odd suspects. There were no identifications. The next day, while Vickers and I, was worked with the police, I went out to Elliot Champion's real estate office in Glendale. <laughs> Expense account item five. Five dollars taxi fare, including tip. Remember that old saw about how a woman in love is always beautiful. When I walked in, I had no idea Mildred Champion was in love and no idea that she was beautiful. Her sallow face without makeup framed in a wisp of never-set blonde hair wasn't flattered by the shapeless black dress and low-heeled shoes that she was wearing. Certainly not the going idea, of Beauty. Nor did her conversation reveal anything to indicate love.
4: Yes, may
2: I help you? Mr. Elliot Champion, please. Uh, My name is Dollar.
4: Dollar? D O L L A R?
2: Uh, He's not expecting me.
4: New business, Mr. Dollar?
2: Great Eastern Fidelity. It's about the fire.
4: Oh, just a moment, please.
5: Well, what is it, Mildred?
4: Mr. Dollar is here, Uncle Elliot. I don't
5: want to see anybody today. I told you that, you idiot.
4: He's from the insurance company. It's about the fire. Oh, now
2: send him in. You're going out to lunch.
4: Yes, sir. All right, Mr. Dollar, straight ahead.
2: He always like that?
4: He's nice today.
2: I see. Thanks, Mildred.
4: Hmm?
2: Well, that's your name, isn't it?
4: Yes. Straight ahead.
2: Dollar? Yes, Mr. Champion? Come on in. I'm not going to ask you to sit down. I know while you're here, you have insurance investigator written all over you. Well, in that case, we can get right down to business, Mr. Chan. We certainly can. Do they know what caused the fire yet? They do. Somebody poured gasoline on some rubbish in the basement. It was deliberate. I thought so. Why? Because Joseph Harrison is out of prison now, and he swore he'd get back at you. Who's Joseph Harrison? Harrison worked for me at one time. Discovered stealing money from me, and I prosecuted him. He was sent to prison for five years. He's the one. You seem pretty certain of that. Yeah, of course I'm certain of it. I know what enemies I have, what friends. There are some witnesses who've got a look at the man who we believe started the fire. What does Joseph Harrison look like? I don't remember. I hardly ever remember, faces. But you remember his threat. What I remembered was the small story in the newspapers last week that he was being released from prison. Well, we'll certainly look him up and have a talk with him. Now, that's very good of you, I'm sure. Now, look, this can be a difficult thing all the way around, or we can cooperate, Mr. Champion. I understand
6: you people have been over to my bank looking into my
2: personal affairs. I don't think I have to beat around the bush with you, Mr. Champion. There's a lot of money at stake here. We'll have to hold up your claim until we get all the facts. You'll pay that claim, Mr. Dollar. I didn't say we wouldn't. But we'll have to be satisfied in all directions. Then satisfy yourself. Get Joseph Harrison. He burned down my building. A review of the trial and proceedings in which Joseph Harrison had been convicted of grand theft, his threats at the time of the trial, substantiated Champion's information. When two of the witnesses identified Harrison's mug picture, an APB went out. We worked with the police. When all the routine places have been covered... We branched out and went out after anybody. Uh, who are you? My name is Dollar. Are you Mr. Angle? That's right. Insurance investigator, Mr. Angle, Trying to locate a former client of yours, Joseph Harrison. Oh, my goodness. I defended Joe over six years ago. Come in. I always fix my own dinner. Post eggs and half and half. pulses.
3: Name's Dollar?
2: Yeah. You want something? No, thanks.
3: Do you mind if I finish?
2: No, go right ahead.
3: What, uh, what
2: led you to me? Well, covering everybody. We're very anxious to get a hold of Harrison and talk to him. Well, I don't think I'm going to be much help, Dollar. What's it all about? He's been identified as the man who started a fire in the Elliott Champion building. Well, I'm sorry to hear that. Are you, Mr. Angle? Truly sorry. Joe Harrison was a nice kid who got in a little trouble, is all. But a calendar job. Born with one war just finished, a depression on deck, and another war on the hole Makes a difference in a man's life. The calendar got him. Everything was against him at the trial, too. Champion poured it on. He didn't have to, but he did. He could have let him off. Did you try to talk him into that? No, I didn't. Nobody talks Elliot Champion into anything. And besides, Joe would never admit taking the funds. He said he was framed. Well, he
3: didn't have a prayer with all the evidence Champion had against him. Why,
2: I read the trial notes.
3: Yeah, and that's it. Joe pleaded not guilty in the
2: face of everything, and he went up. I want him to make a guilty plea and go on the mercy of the court. it was his first chance. Well, he's out now, and as I said, it looks like he's trying to get even with Champion for prosecuting him. Oh, for a lousy ten grand. Has he gotten in touch with you? Oh, no. you have a right to you from prison? No. you have any idea where he'd be in town, Mr. Engler?
3: No, I don't.
2: Well, then I guess I'll leave you to your eggs. Oh, yeah. Uh, Dollar... If you find Joe, I'd like to know about it. Why, Mr. Angle? I'd like to see him. I wonder what five years in prison does to a kid like that. Yeah. At five o'clock that afternoon, it seemed we had run down every possible leap trying to find Joseph Harris. By that time, the other two witnesses had made up their minds that he was the man they'd seen after all. With the four identifications, the case against Harrison became stronger, and our case against Elliot Champion grew weaker. It was imperative that we locate Harrison and prove or disprove that he started the fire. Yeah? Johnny Dollar? This
6: is Mildred Champion. Remember
2: in my uncle's office? Yeah, I remember you're looking for Joe Harrison, aren't you?
6: I know you are. You don't have to answer me. And I think I can help you find him, but he's not the one you're looking for. I live at 1038 Murata Drive. I'll be home
2: in another hour. We can talk there. At 5.30, I received another call. This one from Champion's lawyer. He advised me that Champion would bring suit if the claim was not honored immediately could have been a bluff or he could have meant business. We never found out. I had a third call at 5.38.
3: Johnny, this is I.
2: Hi. How's it going?
3: Champion's dead. What? I'm
2: on my way out of the house now. Somebody shot him ten minutes ago. We'll return to Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar, in just a moment.
6: Now, with our star, John Ludd, we bring you the second act of Yours Truly, Johnny Dollar.
2: Champion had died as swiftly as he had lived. A 38 slug had entered the very center of his forehead. There was no weapon lying about. There were no witnesses in the remote hilly section of Glendale where he lived to give any information concerning the crime. The police were more anxious than ever to find Joseph Harrison. Their reasoning was that if he'd burned down a quarter of a million dollar building to get back at Elliott Champion, he also might shoot him. The arson case had turned into a murder case. When Don Vickers joined Ives and me at the scene, things were still pretty
3: much up in the air.
2: Well, now this is a new wrinkle. What do you suppose.
3: We'll just have to wait and see.
2: Yeah, I thought I was getting somewhere. You find something? I don't know. Take a look at this. <coughs> huh? Here. Mildred Champion married Harrison a month before he was convicted. Well, I'll be. Me, too.
3: Were they separated?
2: Only by the prison term. No record of any divorce or annulment proceedings. Al, well, what do you make of it, Johnny? I don't know what to make of it. She called me earlier and said she had some information for me. I was on my way there when this happened. You didn't talk to her? No. She's his only living relative. And now she can't be found. Not at her place, anyhow. Funny, huh? It wasn't funny at all. From the two times I'd spoken to her and the one time I'd seen her... I'd gathered a pretty definite impression of Miller Champion. But apparently, it had been all
6: wrong. All right,
2: all right, I'm here. I'll be there. Why, uh. Oh, who? Oh, dollar. Hello, Mr. Angle. Never thought I'd see you anymore. What's up? Still looking for Joe? Still looking for Joe.
3: Yeah. I could help you, learn
2: Elliot Champion was shot and killed in his home tonight. No. That's all you have to say? What else is there to say? Unless I ask, did Joe do it? Maybe. Well? Did you know Mildred Champion? I met her. Did you know she was married to Joe Harrison? Yeah. I'll throw one more thing at you, Angle. Champion wasn't always too good about paying his income taxes. Our accountants cover everything in a case like this. What do you want me to say? I'm here to get all of the story now. I think you're the man who can tell it. Why? You can tell me if Harrison was the kind of man who'd start that fire. You can tell me if he really was an embezzler. You can tell me if you think he'd kill Champion. I can't tell you anything, Dollar. All I have is my opinion. Well, I'd like your opinion, I really would, Engel. There's something about her being married to Harrison, isn't there? Yeah. A the wife can't testify against her husband. Everyone else in Champion's office testified against him. I see. Now, uh, the opinion. Come on, Angle. Yeah, you're right, daughter. I've got ideas. And all of them make me sick inside. Joe Harrison stood there and told me he was innocent. He said it a million times if he said it once. And he told me he thought Champion was framing him. For the income tax shortages? Well, that's just surmise, Dollar. He was a green kid who was hired into the company by Champion. He might have been hired to be framed on a phony embezzling charge that would give Champion a good excuse on his taxes for a while. I've been fooled a lot of times. Were you fooled with him? I don't know. I wish I could have gotten him off. I tried, Dollar. Believe me, I tried. You say he's out getting even. He's burned down a building and maybe murdered a man. Joe was a nice boy, Dollar. Now his whole life's gone. And for what? I hope you don't find him. I hope nobody ever finds him. But we did find Joseph Harrison. He was right under our noses all the time. When I called back at the hotel, there was a message for me to get down to the county hospital. I was was waiting
3: for me there. We both stood and looked at Joseph Harrison. In the morgue. It's a funny thing, Johnny. There's been an alarm out on this guy for six hours. Everybody's been looking everywhere for him, and he turns up right here. Only he's dead. What killed him? TV. Just got the whole story. He had it awful bad up at San Quentin. Wanted out awful bad. In the sick ward, his last two years. When his time was up last week, he made him release him. But he wound up here. Died in this hospital. Eh, Just a kid, huh? Yeah.
2: were right back where we'd started from, trying to make a case against Elliot Champion. Except now it was trying to make a case against the estate of Elliot Champion. I was surprised to learn before leaving the county hospital that his niece had still not been seen to be informed of her uncle's death. I was even more surprised when Don Vickers reported from police headquarters. Johnny, this case is breaking. What? a gas leak last Monday. Mildred Champion? Well, it sure sounds like a tall, rangy, about 30. The car description checks out, too. She could be the one who did the job on the building easy enough. Yeah, and
3: on her uncle, too. Again?
2: Yeah, come on. And close that and lock it. It's awful late
3: for
2: this. I know. Now what? We found Joe. He's dead. Oh, no. Oh, yes. And he didn't do any of the things we thought he might have done. I'm here to find out what you might have done. I don't get you. Engel, I don't know how to figure you. I haven't been able to since we met. Well, now it doesn't make any difference what I think of you. But it makes a difference how you answer this question. A lot of difference to you. Well, what, Dollar? Did you help champion frame Joe Harrison?
3: No. I told you I defended him. I tried my best to get him off. That's the truth? I'm an honest man, if not a
2: successful one. I told you the truth. Well, if you did, you're not in any trouble. If you didn't, you might get killed. What? might anyhow. I don't know what you're talking about. Ask who it is. Yeah. Who is it?
4: Mildred Champion, Mr. Engel.
2: Tell her just a
1: minute.
2: Just a minute, Miss Champion.
1: Okay. Get over there. Go on. Get down. All right.
2: Call the police. Mildred, hold it
4: up.
2: Are you hurt? You. Are
4: you hurt? No, I'm all right. Did I kill him? Did I kill him?
2: No, Mildred. You didn't kill him. You, he ought
4: to be dead. My uncle stole money from himself, and then it looked like Joe did it. I know about that. And that one in there, he helped him. Why didn't you let me kill him, too?
2: He didn't help your uncle. He tried to help Joe. When I went
0: over to see
6: Joe last month in the prison hospital, I knew he was
4: dying. He had that look in his eyes.
6: Helpless. He knew
4: what my uncle had done to him, and he couldn't do anything about it.
2: But you figured you could. You killed your uncle when you found out Joe died. You came here to kill Angle.
4: I thought he... He helped him do it. I thought he helped kill Joe. They did kill him, you know, when they sent him to prison as surely as if they'd shot him down. Five years I waited for him to get out of that awful place. I waited to hold him in my arms and tell him it was all over. Five years I waited to help him forget his hate and my hate, loving him so much every day. And now he's dead.
5: What can you or I or anybody do about what they've done to him?
4: Look at me, Mr. Dollar. I'm not what you'd call beautiful. I'm not even pretty. Nobody ever looked at me twice until Joe. He looked at me and he loved me, and now he's dead, and I'm dead inside. I'm dead inside, and I'll be glad when I'm dead outside.
2: Expense account, item six, same as item three, transportation back to New York. Item seven, same as item one, transportation New York to Hartford. Item eight, $85 miscellaneous. Expense account total, $516.54. Comments. Item eight, you can take away if you want to. It's a legitimate miscellaneous that I pampered myself with. I wanted to forget Mildred Champion talking about her lover. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
6: Yours truly, Johnny Dollar stars John Lund in the title role and is written by E. Jack Newman with music by Eddie Dunstetter. Featured in tonight's cast were Eddie Marr, Joe Duval, Joyce McCluskey, Francis X. Bushman, and Herb Butterfield. Yours truly, Johnny Dollar, is transcribed in Hollywood by Jaime Valle. This is Dan Coverley, inviting you to join us next week at this time when John Lund returns as Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> night at the star's address, look up Danny Clover, detective in New York City's teeming Times Square area. Danny, born and brought up in the shadow of the Great White Way, knows its haunts and its people as few others do. Tomorrow and every Saturday night, on most of these same stations, follow Danny Clover on CBS Radio's Broadway Is My Beat. It's packed with thrills and human interests. Is your soldier boy coming home on furlough? You'll be glad to know Traveler's Aid is standing by to help him get home safe and sound. In bus, train, and airplane terminals, Traveler's Aid workers are constantly helping men and women in uniform, mothers with small children, all kinds of people. Traveler's Aid is really hometown insurance for people on the move. If you miss connections, get stranded in a strange town, or misplaced directions, you can count on Traveler's Aid to help. Remember, your community chest gift supports Traveler's Aid and 159 other services. So give now to your community chest and give generously. And remember, America now listens to 105 million radio sets and listens most to the CBS Radio Network.
1: Thanks for joining us at 1001 Radio Days, your home for the best of golden age radio, when radio was king. If you enjoyed tonight's show, please do take a moment and send us a review. We always appreciate reviews, and they help new listeners find us. Until next time, this is your host, John Hagedorn. Stay safe, and we'll be back soon at 1001 Radio Days. And one note, don't forget to pick up 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. That's 1001 Radio Crime Solvers. This is your host, John Hagedorn, and we'll be back soon.